Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by my one very awesome co-host. Laura Nash. Thank you, Laura. And this week we are talking about a game called Observation by NoCode, uh, the developer uh, based out of Glasgow. We chose to cover this now, because partly because it was a game that we wanted to make sure we played before the end of the year, but also it's the spooky season, and this was the closest thing we had to a spooky game on our list for for this uh, year. Yes, it's a sci-fi thriller. It's very uh, hard sci-fi, if that's a term that you know, but really it's, I mean, it's a very uneasy game. It's not like you're playing a game where you think a zombie's going to come out of a corner, but you will feel unsettled. Yeah, in all honesty, I was thinking it would be more of a horror game than it actually ended up being. This is definitely, uh, you know, lots of unsettling imagery and dark places and um, a certain sense of powerlessness that kind of feels consistent with horror. But I think ultimately it sort of fell more under the thriller umbrella for me than yeah, horror. I definitely thought it was going to be white spaceships covered in blood, and that is not this game. Uh, I take a little bit of offense to the many, many people who call this a horror game, but uh, I'm still happy I played it in October because it feels very eerie. Yeah, I'd say um, for me, I don't think this comparison will be too much of a spoiler. I'd say that it reminded me most of the sort of hardcore sci-fi movies of the 1970s through 80s, the sort of post-2001 era, maybe things like 2001 A Space Odyssey or Solaris, where, yes, you're looking at, you know, spaceships and AIs and so on, but there's also uh, larger themes at play and maybe more, uh, I wouldn't say exactly psychedelic, but like like strange imagery accompanying the sort of hard sci-fi premises. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like Space Madness where someone has gone mad and killed half the crew and it's like a an axe or something. This is not that kind of game. Yeah, uh, it, it has a really cool setup though, like a cool um, initial hook. Uh, so the, the premise of this game is that you are not, you are playing as the AI uh, named Sam that runs a space station, a, you know, a low earth orbit space station called Observation. And the Observation, sorry, actually, is the space station called Lob- Observation yes. or is the mission mm-hmm. called Observation? Uh, I think the space station is. Okay. So anyway, you are the AI that, that runs the station, um, but the game picks up immediately after an unspecified disaster. So when the game begins, the space station is in some kind of terrible spin uh, and practically all of its important systems are offline. Things are coming apart. Yeah, most of these games would have you play as the first person you meet who is Emma Fisher, Dr. Emma Fisher, the medical officer. She's talking, you see this woman alone with the, you know, space helmet on and she's talking to Sam and then you actually have actions to do with Sam. Almost every game I've ever played would quickly abandon you playing a Sam and have you play Emma after you turn the AI back on. This game you continue to play that AI. Uh, you know, big words will pop across the screen as new things learn. You're you're playing with interfaces, but really the game is where you are doing the things you need to get online. You're trying to find survivors, repair systems, but you're not really 
doing things. It's not like you're opening hatches. You're hacking a system so that you can unlock it and unlock it through the system. Yeah, so um, this is a game that's really about interacting with interfaces, which is not a surprise if you've played past work by no code. Um, no code seems to sort of specialize in games where you're where, where a large part of their sort of innovation is like playing with how are you interacting with the game? And it's in a, in a way, they kind of remind me a little bit of a non-mobile game focused Simogo. Uh, like Simogo's, a lot of their work was all about trying to uh, ch- you know, play with the different ways that you can interact with your your phone or other device that you're playing their games on. These guys, um, so I don't know if anybody has uh, played uh, Stories Untold, which was their last kind of big release, but Stories Untold was kind of a collection of horror short stories. And uh, there were four of them, and all four of them uh, were playing with different things about your interface to the game. I don't think it ever came out on any consoles because they were very much kind of computer-focused interface ideas. Um, So, for example, the very first of the four sequences, which, by the way, I totally recommend Stories Untold, um, but its absolutely strongest story is the first story, which is available for free. If you download the demo, you get to play through the entire first story, which will take you 20 minutes. Um, And I 100% recommend that. The first story in Stories Untold was called The House Abandoned. And it plays out as a a text adventure, you know, know, IF comp uh, month uh, appropriate. But rather than you typing into a text prompt, the game gives you a fully fleshed out 3D image of a desk with an ancient 80s computer sitting on it. And you're playing the interactive fiction horror game on that computer that you can see the whole computer and the space around the computer. And as things happen in the game, it starts affecting the world outside of the game, the wall behind the computer, other things that appear on the desk, that kind of thing. Um, So it's playing with that sort of level of abstraction and interface there. Um, And there are other games in that same uh, collection also kind of played with interface, how you're interacting with the game in very interesting ways. So it wasn't surprising to me coming into this that you are, when you're playing as Sam the AI, uh, this game finds really a whole lot of different ways to make that I am playing as a computer trying to interface with various parts of myself um, interesting to do visually and from an interface standpoint. The best way I could describe it to my husband was this feels much more like engineering than I was expecting. It feels very hands-on and practical, very tactile. There's a lot of little fiddly things you've got to do to accomplish your goals. It's not like, you know, it's not like Bioshock where you got like a pipe puzzle or like these classic puzzles. I mean, sometimes it's like go find, you know, sometimes there's little bits of fetch quests where you have to go find like four pieces of paper, put them together and do a thing. But often it's just like, hey, you've got this interface and it's clearly been built for someone else to use it and you've lost all of your memory, which I'll get to in a second, but you can't solve it. So to me, the most interesting thing about the game is that because you're not playing a competent AI yet. Most of your systems have been online. It is like the most unreliable narrator because you've lost over 90% of your memory. You've been rebooted a few times and you might be corrupted by an alien language. There's some weird (laughs) glyphs that show up very early and say, bring her. And then everything goes black. There's a time jump. She blacks out and it says, you know, from then on two hours since the incident. So it's 
very unclear if you are evil, if something else happened. You know, you're kind of accomplishing all these fiddly goals to figure out, you know, progress the game so you can figure out if you're compromised. It's a really interesting balance. But what this in practicality means is you're doing all these fiddly puzzles that you as a person playing the game have no idea how it works. You as an AI used to know it. This used to be a job you did all the time. You have no skills. So you're getting yelled at to do something you've never been trained on that used to be in your wheelhouse. And that's a lot of the feeling of this game where you're trying to just figure out what this interface does with no instruction manual because you used to be the instruction manual. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And uh, a very small example of that would be, you know, so most of this story is playing out with Emma trying to uh, bring the space station back online, but she needs your assistance as the AI that runs the thing in order to do that. So she'll constantly be giving you instructions um, and those instructions will be, for example, something like we need to, uh, you know, reconnect the clamps that hold uh, space station uh, tube number one to space station tube number two. You can see I've got my my technical uh, language really down. Very here. precise. Um, and so those clamps are engaged using a interface that has a you know a little screen. You have to navigate your cameras. You're always looking in at the station via its sort of security camera like system, or occasionally by flying around in a little mobile camera in a sphere. But um, you have to navigate to the affected part of the station by figuring out which of your cameras has a good angle on it. Uh, Then you have to connect your system with the system of whatever device you're trying to interface with. So you just need line of sight in order to do that. Once you've connected with it, then you've got a very old school looking interface. It reminds me, you know, you you ever see... Uh, like video of the inside of the ISS, right? The ISS is this incredibly sophisticated International project. Space Station. Thank you yes. very much. Um, and it's this incredibly sophisticated scientific and technical marvel, uh, but inside they've got laptops strapped to walls running Windows 98, right? And it's because that is what was uh, considered a standard reliable thing at the time they put that space station together, right? And they have they don't want to change anything there because they don't want to uh, potentially introduce problems that would be potentially deadly. So while it's this incredibly technically advanced thing, it's also got a lot of elements within it that seem very antiquated. And that's the same for this station in the far future year of 2026. So you're interfacing with, for example, this clamp module, and it's got a you know incredibly antiquated looking interface, and you have to do things on your controller or keyboard uh, in a very specified kind of way. Um, in order to reclamp it. So for example, maybe it'll ask you to hold down one button to prime the clamp and then another button to engage the clamp and then you have to let go of those buttons in another particular order, that sort of thing. Maybe even repeat that same process several times for several clamps. I'm doing a sort of a broad strokes example here. Yeah, and that's what I meant by it feels so tactile because that, I mean, yeah, you're using a controller, but the other thing is it, it feels a lot like resetting a router. Like, <laughs> it, like it, it feels like dealing with... Like troubleshooting, yeah. With troubleshooting. Like, often puzzles you solve in video games feel very disconnected to actually dealing with tech. Um, your mileage may vary if you find that a fun thing to do, but it does feel accurate. Like, that's the funny thing about this game. Anything that was frustrating, I also felt was very intentionally designed. So it's, you know, it's something that I I cannot, I think that any 
frustration or anything that was hard is supposed to be that way. Yeah, it it's definitely finds times to be frustrating. And, you know, I would imagine that uh, bringing a space station that has been seriously damaged back online would be frustrating. But I mean, I think of it kind of like it is the wire. The TV show is very much into like paperwork and stuff, the actual like logistics and legal stuff and all the paperwork behind actually solving a case uh, where most people would have like one episode where it just cuts to you doing the arrest. The Wire has an entire season of stuff that is literally like people going through files and listening to audio. But like that is what this is to sci-fi TV shows. Right. And, and while that paperwork might stuff. not necessarily be like fun to do, there's elements of that that are compelling because it is a sort of right. a procedural, right? And something about that process can be compelling. And that's that's what this game does too. That said, um, this game does really go places. So um, something that I kept thinking about as I was playing through this is that it it has a feeling of Despite being this very sort of tactile, very concerned with its with its moment to moment uh, interacting with interfaces, um, I felt like it really had the feeling of an interactive movie. Um, and when I say that, I'm I I, I don't want to give you the wrong impression because lots and lots of games describe themselves as interactive movies. In fact, just uh, just earlier this week, Jamie and I were playing through uh, Man uh, Man of Medan or Man from Medan. Uh, the new interactive horror game movie thing by the people that made Until Dawn, um, which, I mean, I can give my impressions on that. They're not all positive, but the that game is very, very much a film-like experience. You're mostly watching events play out, um, and then it, it, its its version of interactivity is occasionally you make choices about the direction that the story is going to take, or occasionally you have to do a button prompt or something in order to prevent a character from falling into a pit of spikes or some such thing. Um, this game, it has the element of feeling like you're an observer of the story, right? Emma Fisher is the driver of the story. She is the person sort of driving the narrative. Uh, and you are, you're, you know, you're, the, game, the name of the game is observation. You're mostly observing Emma and trying to assist her or maybe obstruct her. Uh, and sometimes you may be doing both or you're not even sure what you're doing um, in trying to bring the station back online, figure out what went wrong and discover the, you know, unravel the mystery of what has happened. Um, yeah, you're a bit more of a servant than you would be in most games. And it's funny you said interactive movie. I, I kept thinking that this felt more like a found footage movie than anything else. Hmm. Um, it's not uh, mm-hmm. like a it's not as if. You can put the camera anywhere. You are stuck inside existing cameras, existing devices, um, your sphere. Almost always you are controlling where the camera points, but you might not be able to move it as far as you can. Um, What I mean by found footage is those films that only are using existing devices. Like Chronicle, I know the director of that got a little weird. Um, But, you know, it's everything recorded on Cam- security cameras or cell phones or devices like that's what this feels like and it, it makes it feel even more like you're this you know panopticon outside viewer of things like my favorite thing about the camera was not only is that you're observing but like back to that unreliable narrator thing like you bump into something and your camera f- 
spritzes and yeah. like you you glitch like when you're moving between camera feeds sometimes you go to a bad camera feed um sometimes there's a lot of like this weird analog dis- digital artifice like all these kind of little things happening to the camera my, my favorite little detail is that if you switch cameras it's a little low res and then it's slowly as if it is calibrating will get sharper the longer you stay in that camera view. Mm. It's little things like that that make you feel even more like you are not there, that you are controlling a camera outside the system, like you're directing this, even though you're not actually a player. Yeah, from a tech standpoint, it does a great job of kind of selling that idea that everything is broken and you are your you know your camera feeds aren't perfect your ability to move the cameras is sometimes uh, uh, interfered with um, and you're just bringing new sections of the station online you're having to do all of this sort of manual work to to do things that should be effortless for a computer system but aren't because everything's broken and um, they really sell that even just things like the like the the video filters they occasionally put on the on the video feeds or the sort of busted interface that you have a kind of a SAM OS menu system, right? Where you can, you can go into a menu system that shows all of your different objectives. It shows all of the devices and cameras that you're able to connect to. Um, and it, it, you know, occasionally shows you other useful information like, uh, like, uh, system alerts about things that are broken in the station, that kind of thing. And, uh, it very much sort of feels realistically broken (laughs) in ways that are really interesting sometimes. There's a super dense quote I'm going to, from the Polygon review of this that I'll read um, that kind of ties it all together. They say uh, the game has a UI is meticulous as it is multifarious, replete in scuzzy scan lines, visual snow, ASCII graphics, digital artifacting, and CRT monofont. Observation emulates the tactility and retrofuturist appeal of analog technology to a T and firmly anchors the player POV within SAMs at all times. Yeah, that's it's, that's totally yeah, anchoring it uh, within Sam's POV is what's really important about this. There's there's almost no I don't think there's any moment in this game that isn't specifically from Sam's POV. There's a couple of times where they seem to cheat and have like um, uh, that, you know, the camera you, you snap to a particular camera automatically to tell you, you know, so you show you where the action is, so to speak, or uh, Emma or other characters might move your cameras for you. And that's another way that it occasionally kind of directs your attention. Uh, but it's um, it's always rooted in Sam the AI as the as the observer of the action. Yeah, you feel like a ghost in the machine because you really are inside machines. When you interact with a computer, you don't see this like it takes over your whole screen. Like there is that kind of like you feel like you're you know going to zoom into an object because you've become that object temporarily. Something I want to talk about real quick is the response mode and the way that it uh, does that. The uh, So the the UI is always, you know, you're always seeing what Sam sees. You can, you have access to the information that Sam has access to. Um, and occasionally Emma will, or other characters will ask you for information or they'll ask you to do something. And when you want to reply, to them, you have to use an interface that I think is very clever called response mode. And I was playing on PC, so for me this basically meant I held down the R key to go into response mode on a controller. I'm sure it's something else. Um, Uh, Yeah, it's one of the L2 or R2, I don't remember right mm -hmm. now. And what that means is when you're holding down that response mode button, 
everything on the screen kind of goes into a red color and things that you can potentially cue off of to respond to Emma are highlighted. Um, so for example, Emma might ask you for a piece of information and then you would need to navigate your menus, find the piece of information that she wants, hold down that response mode key and click on the element that you want to respond to her about. And most of the time it's pretty, pretty cut and dried. She wants a response about something. You find the thing, whether it's out in the world, then you can see it with your cameras or whether it's something that's like part of your, your you know, information screens and you click on it to respond about it. But what I thought was very clever about this was, you know, of course you are an AI. And as we mentioned earlier on, like you are potentially like, I think Laura said something like, are you evil? And I don't think that's quite the question. It's more about like, who does the AI work for, right? Who Who is controlling you? Right. What, what uh, goals are you programmed with that you, the character, and maybe even you, the AI, may not be aware of? Um, and so sometimes you are given choices about what to tell Emma um, that kind of hint at that side of this question, right? A, a very, very small and very early game example is that, you know, in, in many points in the story, in fact, I think the very first moment of the story, uh, Emma asks you to do a voice print authentication, right? And so that means that she speaks a phrase and it shows a little recording waveform on your screen. And then you have to verify whether this is Emma or not. And um, you have a choice about whether you want to approve or reject that voice print authentication. And the fact is that the first time she does it at the very least, it's inconclusive because things are technically messed up. So you have a choice as the player and as Sam of to, as to whether, you know, whether or not you want to go by the book and reject this voice print authentication that is slightly messed up or whether you want to accept it based on the fact that you can see her and you're pretty sure that this is her. Um, and there's little elements like that throughout the game where you can sort of express in a way whether you are as Sam are on Emma's side or not, which is sort of an open question by the way that you respond to her in small little subtle ways. Yeah, I mean, and it's not always inconclusive. Sometimes it is conclusive one way or the other, and it's fun that you can still have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and you could decide if you want, you know, I honestly don't know what happens if you choose the other way. Like, I, I have no idea. It's an interesting open door to me. Um, I think that my, something I find really interesting about Sam is that so many AIs have a personality. They're like sassy or they are, you know, very British or they're like a butler. And it's, Sam seems like almost like a textbook, no personality version of an AI, which is kind of great because you are, you don't answer in a loving way. It's not like you have a relationship to rebuild. It's unclear if that's because you've been wiped. But I thought it was much more interesting that they made a pretty uh, washed clean of personality AI for a player to play because you can put a lot of hypotheses on Sam because it's not trying to be cute or witty or anything like that. Yeah, and there's a lot of question about like what is Sam's role in all of this. So, uh, I don't, I don't think it's too big of a spoiler to say that it, as of towards the end of the first chapter, we can talk a little bit about the chapter structure in a second, but towards the end of the first chapter, uh, Sam s finds in his logs that are mostly corrupted and lost that 
um, he is at least partially responsible for the disaster. But you don't know why or, you know, why? There's some black box messages is the way right. they put it. Yeah. So why might Sam have done you know, what he has done apparently uh, or did he do it? And, and you know, what what would his motivations have been in causing the disaster that begins the game? It's really, really interesting. And it does sort of make that unreliable narrator sort of the central mystery of the game. It's not so much like what happened. It's like more like why did this happen? All right. I guess my point is if you have a more neutral AI, it's not clearly evil or clearly good or clearly friendly. It's much more unclear what role you played, if any. Yeah, super, super interesting. And I, I really like that about this game. Um, there were times where I got frustrated with this game. Uh, you, know, you might notice that Nate is not on this episode and he originally planned to be. There were some scheduling issues, but he also had some issues with the game that caused him to kind of bounce off of it. And they're ones that I completely understood. So, uh, for example, Nate was saying that this game ended up giving him a bit of a headache. And part of that is the sound. The sound design in this, I thought, is very cool. It does a great job of like giving you that very space station hum kind of vibe and everything. But a big part of this game is you connect to a camera and then you can use the little robot arm that the camera is on to pan that camera around. And that camera pans at a very slow pace and makes a whining noise when you do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I found that only sort of like mildly irritating and something that I pretty much forgot about by the time I was significantly into the game. Um, that the slow motion of the cameras was part of the building of tension for me. I thought that was actually pretty effective, but for Nate, that sound that it made specifically triggered a headache for him. And uh, yeah, and he got, which got worse because when you actually get into the spheres, then you get this whole disorientation thing because the spheres um, are little balls in a zero G environment that is made for people to go in any direction. So, you know, for me, I have trouble navigating in normal 3D spaces when you could just look up and down and left. And yeah. Right. And so, like, I kept thinking of Ender's Game, like your enemy gate is down, but there is no down because there's nothing to orient to when there's hatches on multiple sides. Um, don't take bathroom breaks in the middle of a chapter because you'll get back and you have no idea where you are. <laughs> there's no markers. And it's supposed to be that way. Yeah, I had that same problem. Um, and specifically, there's one point in this. You do have a map. Um, the map isn't super effective because you can tell what like space station module you're in, but you can't <laughs> tell really which way you're facing. Um, Except, <laughs> yeah, there was there was a significant chunk of the game where, for technical reasons that are you know story reasons, you, your map is gone, and you still have to be able to navigate this three D space with no map. And, and I was so reliant on that map that too. when I didn't have it, it was rough. Yeah, I mean, these you're, you're navigating a, a series of interconnected, basically white tubes, and you know you might go into a module. And then go to turn around and you might not even realize that your sphere has inverted from, you know, uh, I don't know, starboard is down to port is down, right? You might have actually done a kind of a flip while in that module without even necessarily realizing it. And then you come back out and left is right and right is left and you are lost. I mean, it is if you are one of the people who get sick in an IMAX uh, when there's a lot of movement, this is a little, this is a very rough. I watched it. Um, I played this on a very uh, big projector screen on the wall. It was like probably 80 inches or something, which is a great way to play this, but it made it a uh, very uh, that is so rough funny when, to me. when that little thing 
Huh? That it 80 inches is big? Well, no, 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 no. The, eight, the 80 inches is big. No, the, the idea that like you'd play this on a massive screen and like get get like motion sickness or something because I could totally well, cause see the Because if you're in the little sphere, like not only are you moving when you are controlling it, but also it drifts. So you'll slightly be rolling or rotating while something's happening. So if you're going fast in some of the chase sequences, um, it, it mostly I, I felt a little disoriented. I didn't feel sick, but I know that some some people have said that, that it's just like the screen will be kind of careening around and things will be like looping around on you because you can kind of flip out of control. Mm, yeah. Um, and it can be really... Um, it can be pretty intense for like a camera motion just because you're kind of moving in multiple, you're spinning while you are rotating. Yeah. And that is rough stuff. I will, on the I camera. will say <laughs> that like it does, it, it, it does have some sort of kindness in the drift thing. Like it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't let you like accelerate into a spin or something. So no, it, no, it will it's... stop your sphere. If you stop trying to move it, it's just that it can be very easy to, to end up pointed in a way that's confusing. You might end up against, you know, bumping up against a wall, then you try to navigate away from the wall and suddenly you're pointing in a different direction that then made sense before. So very confusing movement in those sequ uh, sequences. And absolutely, as Laura was saying, don't try to stop halfway through. Um, and not just for that reason. I also ran into a kind of, I, I almost regard this as a bug. I, this is probably just a design decision, but like uh, I ran into a problem a few times where, mm. And I don't think this would be as much of a problem if you were playing on console like Laura did. I played this on, on a computer and I needed to, for example, restart that computer from time to time or turn it off. And um, the game does autosave, uh, but there's no manual saving and the autosaves are really far apart. I think they're, I think it only autosaves at the beginning of each chapter and maybe one point in the middle of the chapter. Like they're pretty far apart. And there were several times where I had to stop the game at a particular point that seemed like a natural stopping place where I just solved a puzzle, for example. Um, I finished solving a puzzle, stop the game, come back to it later, and that puzzle is no longer solved and I have to go and do a bunch of stuff again. That was a little annoying. So I would say if you can, uh, either play this on a, on a platform like the PS4 where you can suspend it and come back to it exactly where you left off later if you want to, or... Uh, try to finish the chapters before you uh, stop it and come back to it. Yeah, I think the things that I found frustrating about this also are things that I admire from a design decision because, for example, the space station, you said it feels very much like the International Space Station. There's like random stuff everywhere. There's like a lot of things in the way. There's a lot of like weird um, you know, things in every position, um, every orientation possible. But it, that messiness makes it pretty hard to find what you're looking for sometimes. Like sometimes you do have to pan the camera a lot and zoom around a lot. It, it feels more realistic, but it can be kind of annoying when you just want to finish a puzzle. And, and similarly, sometimes the game doesn't like Emma is pretty used to you being a normal AI and she'll tell you to do something like, you know, get a comm system online or go look up a coordinate. But there's no instructions on how to do that. You have to kind of just go where you're supposed to look around, try to figure it out. And that's completely what the game you know that that is intentional but also it can be very frustrating because every time you're asked to do something new you have to figure it out from scratch there's not a lot of building on existing knowledge in this game uh which again you've been wiped clean it makes sense 
But I could see how if you're playing it for a really long session, that could build up and you could feel like you're doing things from scratch over and over again. It feels like being really bad at a job. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Um, I, and the, the game is only a total of about five and a half hours. Um, it, it's uh, so it's not something where you're going to be like it, 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 it feels like about the right length for something like this. It felt very much like a film-like experience to me, and and the length was part of that. Um, you know, I, I played this game over the course of about two evenings. Uh, and yeah, and I I really liked that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that was great. But I was like playing it, and I was like, this isn't for everyone. Like, some people are going to bounce hard off this, but I am actually like enjoying learning this like little hatch puzzle three times. Like, I, I'm kind of enjoying doing those fiddly controls. It feels very space sim-like. Yeah, it was very sim-like, but it also is very much a story-driven game. So it's it's mm-hmm. a cool combination of that. Um, it's, like a, it's like if a walking simulator was very, very concerned with the specific mechanics of how you were walking around. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it, it's really, um, it, it, it was additive, not something that distracted from the story for me, at mm-hmm. least. Um, so I want to talk about some things about the story that I would definitely consider spoilers. Um, I don't think we need to or, or should talk about the ending here. The ending was really cool. I thought it was a really good ending, um, but I don't think we need to talk about it on the podcast. I'll encourage people to, to check it out and play the game. Um, but there are some things from, I would say, like the end of the first chapter on that mm-hmm. I I do want to talk with you about a little bit, but I definitely consider them spoilers. So, so I think there are two things you want to talk about, just so you know if you want to follow us into this little non-break spoiler section. One happens at the end of, like, I'd say the first hour 30 minutes to an hour. And the second one is probably about two hours in, um, maybe two and a half or three hours in, depending on how you play. So uh, we don't mean to be too, um, we're not going to get into the end game, but there are going to be a couple things that are, it's almost impossible when it's like mysterious spaceship to talk about what makes it interesting without talking about some part of the plot, but we're not going to try to go too deep. So if you're not aware, I do add chapters to these episodes and you can use that chapter skip function. I will make sure that if you skip a chapter right about now, just take a look at the chapter list, uh, then uh, you will be skipping past it. And after this point, uh, we'll talk a bit, we'll be doing our what's making us happy this week section thing. So you can skip straight on to what's making us happy this week if you don't want any of the sort of uh, early or mid-game spoilers. So uh, first spoiler is uh, the what is the incident, Reagan? Right. So um, the, you know, obviously like you, you solve, you put up the initial fires of there. Well, literally there's a fire, Literal fire and also try to stop the space station from spinning and try to bring some of your comms equipment and everything back online. Just trying to see around you, so to speak. And the first thing that you really see is that looking out of the space station, you know, you should be seeing basically low earth orbit. And instead you see a fairly high orbit around Saturn, which is wild because this is a space station. It's not supposed to be really moving around. And Saturn is very far away. How did we get to Saturn? And that's like a, a big question. I mean, one way you got to Saturn is that a giant weird uh, hexagon showed up in your <laughs> chamber and you entered a bunch of glyphs that you don't understand. Yeah. So that is a weird, weird thing, right? And that's that's the first hint I found that like this game was playing in the... I, I thought a lot about like... 
I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the sort of high weirdness, hard sci-fi of things like 2001 or Solaris. That's where it really started. Sunshine, yeah. Or Sunshine, yeah. yeah. Or like anything like that where it's like willing to, um, or even something like Event Horizon. The abyss. Or yeah. The, like, the sphere, the one about like the thing underwater. Yeah, yeah, where it's like there is something. So there's this this like hard sci-fi world where it's complex and concrete enough that, you know, well, they're very complex and there's high science, but it's uh, it's, you know, understandable, right? And then there's this element of the ununderstandable that intrudes its way onto this orderly science uh, driven uh, story, right? And that's what's going on here is that something that has this very alien presence, this very sort of spooky alien presence is intruding into presumably the mind or whatever of Sam um, and has instructed him to quote unquote, bring her. That's all we get. And uh, I guess where it meant for us to bring her is Saturn. How we got there, we don't really know, at least not early in the game. Um, Super cool, weird hook, though, right? Like, I really, really, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, oh, this just got very interesting. Because not only was this, is this a story of, like, trying to recover a broken space station, but now you are so hopelessly far from home that you could never return unless you figure out how you got here in the first place and tried to reverse it or something like that. You're you're out there. Pretty cool. Exactly. I love that she's like, let's go take a look at Earth. And then it's like you look down and it's the rings of Saturn. It is a, a beautiful reveal. Really cool moment. And then I'd say the second like biggest what the hell moment is you seem to get I don't know, maybe a rescue ship. There's another ship coming towards you and it's in the same basic formation of yours. So you're not sure if another ship got in the same situation as you and got ported to Saturn or what is it? So you go on this um, wonderfully harrowing little spacewalk where uh, Emma like jumps with you tethered um, and she just flies towards this other space station and you have no idea what it's going to be. And you get in through a Chinese port and you're like, okay, maybe this is another UN thing. It's like, wait a second. I thought I had a top of the line ship, but this looks so similar. Like, guess we did get a prefab one. Ha ha. It's more than a similar shape. It is the your exact ship. same space station, right? And maybe there's multiple U's and multiple other people. And, and that's one of my favorite, um, you know, it, it's the mystery gets much, much bigger. It's not just your ship and aliens, it's also. Yeah, you didn't just get teleported to Saturn. Several copies of you presumably got teleported to Saturn. <laughs> you were prestige to Saturn. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I that's spoilers a, for the prestige, right? Oh God, <laughs> sorry everyone. Um, super cool. Like I, I, and and that becomes sort of like the central mystery of the of the rest of the game, and the ending plays very much with that. And again, I won't talk too much about it, but like. I thought the ending was really it's it's not one of those endings that's like suddenly going to wrap everything up in a bow for you. There's still a very mysterious aspect to the ending, but it was it was very cool. Um, yeah. Finding that realizing the spaceship is the dupe is really to me the uh, it's the end of the two part pilot of the TV series. Yeah. Or the end end of that two part pilot is seeing outside of both of those stations and realizing there's not just two. It's like, oh. 
oh, there's quite a oh, lot. Oh, and then it like keeps going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's the moment when you go, you know, loss goes dung, 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 dung. I so from a story standpoint, like I think that's like I, I was very I was very into that. Like, yes, it's a little <laughs> bit like uh, weird sci-fi, and sometimes that kind of sci-fi can be unsatisfying. When I mean, even from the beginning, I was like, okay, I know that we're not going to get some you know info dump at the end of this story that tells us, oh, actually, it was a uh, you know, uh, general big bad decided to sacrifice all these astronauts to try a, uh, you know, a, a teleportation experiment that went wrong or something like that. Like the fact that this, these spooky presences are appearing in the mind and potentially on the ship of Sam, these like spooky alien presences just from the beginning, it's like, okay, this is going to be one of those stories where there is an unknowable alien presence with its own, you know, that's that's manipulating the situation to its own unknowable ends. And so you're not going to get that like fully tied in a bow ending. And it's pretty obvious from the beginning to me that that's how this is going. And I, maybe I just misread things, but I feel like most of the reviews for this game and definitely the marketing is making it feel much more like the aliens are a physical presence or like it is a space madness slasher murder thing, like it, like stalking around fighting. Like, I don't know how that vibe is so present in the marketing because it is not here in the game. It is much more of a weird annihilation vibe to me. Like, you don't know what is. Yeah, annihilation is not know a bad it's real, comparison because it's, it's about like the like there is this the surreal made real kind of aspect. To exactly. It. You don't know what's real and what is you being manipulated it's a much more nuanced thing than that yeah i liked it a lot yeah so i i really dug the story of this game and again i I won't spoil it but i really dug the ending so i i would very much recommend checking this game out Uh, it's available on the playstation 4 and also on the epic game store for windows it's egs exclusive so if you're one of the uh people with i think maybe uh strange opinions about that particular uh, factor, uh, you know, and you don't want to send your money to them. Hey, at least you can send it to Sony. Um, I, I think this game is really cool, and I I continue to be excited to see more stuff from No Code. Uh, th- there's lots of ups and downs. So, like again, with uh, with uh, stories untold, I was like extremely into the first of the four sections, and then pretty into the second one, and then the third one was not so great, and then the fourth one I didn't end up finishing. So, like they've up they have ups and downs even within the projects, but like this is better than anything of theirs that I have seen before. This was a really, really cool uh, game. And I, I, I'd absolutely recommend it. It's it's short enough that you can probably check it out in an evening or or maybe two, which is what had happened for me. And um, I think this is a really good example of how to give that sort of film-like experience while still rooting you in interactivity that feels a little more in-depth than, uh, you know, hit A to not let f- character fall in pit. Slight digression, and the spoiler ring is not the right place for this, but I do want to say that if you are interested in all the various designs of this, uh, there's actually a book called Make It So Interaction Design Lessons from Science Fiction, which is just a book of sci-fi user interfaces and someone who actually has like a master's from Stanford breaking it down. I mean, I don't know if they have a master's from Stanford, but it's somewhere prestigious. It's a really cool book. So if you are just like agog with user interfaces in this book, like... That is a giant book on 
what sci-fi user interfaces have to do with reality. Yeah, if anything, uh, that side of this reminded me most of the user interface design in Alien, like the very mm-hmm. first of the Aliens movies. And uh, that that movie, it does such a wonderful job with like obscure, but clearly like complicated, but knowable, but unknowable to you, but clearly someone understands this bizarre interface kind of thing. Or like if you've played the... Uh, uh, I, I played quite a bit of, but didn't finish the uh, Alien. Uh, what was it called? Alien Observation, the uh, mm-hmm. the like first person horror, uh, you know, game that that had a lot of the same kind of uh, interface elements and had a similar kind of feel to the to the UI. I love that sort of sci fi UI stuff. So cool. Yeah. So what else is making you happy, Reagan? Oh boy, uh, this has been a week. Um, so like this this week, I am in the process of getting ready to move. Um, so I, I don't know if this is exactly making me happy more of anticipation and also fear, but mostly anticipation. Uh, so I am moving from Denver down to the Houston area. Uh, I'll be living in uh, the Woodlands, if you know the Houston area, uh, sort of a suburb north of Houston. Um, and this is sort of a return home for me. I, I'm you know from Houston. Uh, as you guys all know, Shane lives in Houston. So um, we'll be much closer, although not exactly a quick drive, but pretty close to him. Um, and so that'll be uh, an exciting plus. And there's so much involved in moving, guys. I've just had... So much going on. So as a sort of a preview for everyone listening to this show, um, I uh, the, the schedule may be a little more complicated for the next couple of weeks. And uh, I there may be an episode or two that I'm not on because I might have my microphone packed up in a box or might not be able to play certain types of games uh, because my various devices are packed up or what have you. But uh, things will be continuing. Uh, and so thank you for bearing with me during the move. I'm pretty excited about it and uh, looking forward to uh, getting on the other side of it. Yes. And I am very, it's funny that the two of us end up recording this week because I also, Game Club launched on Thursday, uh, which I yes, now work for. Congratulations. Thank you. So it's been a very, uh, I just joined it and it's been really all hands on deck since I did. <laughs> but we're really happy with how the launch went. Uh, if you guys haven't tried it, um, you know, sign up. It's a free trial and uh, we've worked really hard and the games are really fun. Um, but anyway, I've been counteracting with trying to do wildly different things uh, in my downtime, as limited as it is. And I downloaded a bunch. Uh, I didn't download. I borrowed them from the library, even more old school. Um, the films of Ernest Lubitsch, uh, which are like, he's a director who worked, um, he did some silent movies, but like he did a bunch of 30s, 40s, 50s movies. Um, and he was known as kind of this like European rom-com guy. He did very suave rom-coms. Um, he inspired Billy Wilder. Um, like a lot of directors love him because he just has this thing they call the Lubitsch touch. And it's really that he just found like a really fun way to show stuff. So I we watched um, a movie from 1932 called Trouble in Paradise, which is uh, the premise is uh, there's a two con people meet in Venice and they're conning each other and then they have this great like dinner together where they're like returning all the stuff they've pickpocketed from each other and it's like a reverse <laughs> striptease where like 
she'd be like, what time is it? And then pulls like her his watch out of her cleavage and like he hands back and they just keep going back and forth, handing off the stuff they've stolen throughout the night. And then she's like, oh, Baron, who are you really? And he's like, I am Master Lavelle, the, the best thief in London. And she's like, and I am not the Countess. I am, you know, it's, it's <laughs> delightful. That does um, sound And fun. so it's like a strip tease, but it's just of stolen objects. Um, and then they go out together to con um, someone rich out of their money. But it's like the the best meet cute is two cons, like conning each other until they go presumably off to have off camera sex because it's 1930s. Um, so I, I, I found a bunch of his movies at the library. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching more. But it was just such a like, oh, I've, I never knew this movie existed. And it, it literally opens with a like a gondolier in, in Venice singing a song. And then he goes out to it. You realize his gondola is just a garbage gondola. <laughs> he like dumps his trash on and like rows off. And you're like, oh, this is the movie where they're like, oh, nope, that's the Venetian garbage man. <laughs> it's romance and like conning and like who's going to do the dishes type stuff. It's very delightful. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about some more games of IF Comp 2019. Um, so looking forward to that. Once again, if you have IF Comp games that you've played and that we haven't covered and you're interested in hearing us talk about or you thought were good games and we should check out, uh, please be sure to let us know. Uh, this will probably be our last IF Comp 2019 episode, although we may revisit it, the topic a little bit after just to talk about what uh, what won and how everything placed. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to having another conversation about more of those. Um, and uh, also, hello to Shane. Shane is in Paris this week. So sorry you missed the episode, buddy. But uh, he's uh, I was literally getting uh, Instagram uh, uh, stories from Versailles earlier today. So he's clearly... Uh, you know, seeing some sites. He's there for work, but clearly has had time to go and check out some cool sites. So, uh, howdy, Shane, and uh, and and to Nate as well. And um, looking forward to next week. So, uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to the short game. Uh, you can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, or you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com/theshortgame. It's the best way to support the show. You can also every one of our supporters on Patreon gets access to our Discord, which is a great way to chat with us about the games you're playing. That's where we chat about the games we're playing. We plan episodes there, and you can join in on those conversations. Um, and uh, it's also a great place to let us know what about your IF Comp experiences. We've been having a good, lively conversation there. Uh, we're also talking a bunch right now about uh, Apple Arcade and the games that were coming out in that. Talking about Game Club. Talking about everything else that's happening uh, in the uh, in the short games world at the moment. So uh, join us on Discord, and we would love to have you there. Um, you can also find me on the internet at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash. And listeners, thank you once again for listening to the short game.